0: links to our eighth ninth episode of the podcast it is x week of quarantine because we have all lost count and given up hope and we're going to be here to talk about competition differences between board games and video games which is a topic that mazio brought up so mazio tell us why you brought up this topic
1: a huge part of what's driving my personal everything, like the writing, the game development, and the scholarly stuff, is the similarities between video games and tabletop games that both sides of the line seem to be extremely unwilling to kind of admit to and explore. Um, and in that is how the similarities that really go on in the competitive communities and how very, very similar they are despite... Most people are just wanting to say, yeah, they're similar or no, they're not, and walk away from it.
0: So you want to talk actually sit down and let's analyze the competitive nature between the two and see if there actually are similarities or you actually you believe there are similarities. No, I
1: believe there them. are similarities. I mean, lots of people argue back and forth on this. I just happen to believe that there are kind of undeniable similarities between them.
0: Cool. And before we go any farther, I'm just going to state, I have not played an officially competitive board game in my life.
1: Uh, Wait, revise that to tabletop game.
0: Tabletop game in my life. (laughs) Sorry. Um, I've only ever played tabletop games to be casual, but... You and Jake actually have experience playing competitively with your two different games.
1: i get yes. competitive tabletop experience with a lot of games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For example, I don't know how many people would remember this, but in Gen Con of 2019, I actually made the finals or semifinals, one of the two, for Hungry Hungry Hippos.
0: <laughs> Wait. Wait, there's a competitive version of Hungry Hungry Hippos?
1: Every year at Gen Con, there's a world (laughs) championship for Hungry Hungry Hippos. What? (laughs) And Lupin Chewy.
0: (laughs) You know, thinking about it, when we've been to PAX Unplugged, I've seen tournaments for uh, Ticket to Ride and other stuff that I wouldn't consider inherently competitive games, but apparently are.
1: Um... I mean, honestly, Hungry Hungry Hippos and Luke and are are more fun than they are insanely competitive. Yeah. It's more there to be a good time than anything else. But when you walk through um, the hall of Gen Con, like halls A through E, essentially, um, outside of the vendor hall, there's a huge, huge place with nothing but tables. And you'll see, like, daises for different companies like Fantasy Flight Games and Weird... And they have lots and lots of events that really revolve around major tournaments. And that's not an isolated thing. Lots and lots of cons, Adepticon, the Nova Open, uh, even Origins, although I haven't been to Origins in quite a while since 2016. So that may be somewhat different now. I mean, none of this may be valid because, you know, COVID in 2020, right? Uh, but most of these major events have competitive scenes, even PAX Unplugged for as young as it was had a significant competitive tabletop wargaming scene and competitive board game scene. Yeah, I mean, they the g-
0: first year, the whole downstairs, I think, was all competitive, that big open space, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was very, very big. I actually regret not playing Song of Ice and Fire competitively mm-hmm. because the prize pool was apparently incredible.
0: But, uh, you I think you also talked... Oh, wait, retract that but. I think you also talked about being competitive with miniature war gaming and the like in our first episode when we were talking about ourselves because you mentioned that you've done miniature war gaming and placed like all right in like a few tournaments with it
1: yeah i've done pretty well with armada and legion both star wars games from fantasy flight games um i'm abysmal but i do play infinity from time to time although the new edition is out and i haven't played in a year so who knows Song of Ice and Fire was brand new and I'm very into that. I played competitive 40k back in 6th and a little bit into 7th edition and then kind of gave it up because it was very expensive and hard to deal with chasing that meta. Um, what else am I been playing? I just got into Malifaux and I'm looking to see how the tournament scene for that is.
0: And then we have Jake, who hasn't really said much, but Jake, you also play some of the games with Mazio. So Vaughan yeah,
2: I, I definitely have a slightly different experience with competitive gaming i have been around competitive video games my entire life fun fact my father actually played competitive battlefield 1942 in one of the earlier leagues or esports leagues that i know of at least that existed at the time this is you know going back to like early 2001 2 3 so i've always kind of seen gaming in a competitive light um that's what I came up on, and then later on, I kind of got exposed to the tabletop side of it with Star Wars Legion, and a little bit of other competitive tabletop games, but primarily Legion is what I know in the analog sense, and then I've been I've run the gambit of competitive games on um, the digital side, from the early Battlefields that I talked about, CSGO, League of Legends, uh, a little bit of Overwatch here and there, Siege, a variety, so... Pretty exposed to it on that side.
0: I actually think I am the least exposed to competitive games because, again, I haven't played really any competitive tabletop games. And for video games, I've really only done Apex and Overwatch competitively. Eh, I've done like MMOs competitively if you ta- if you count like World or guild battles. So I've done that, but that is a very different feel to it.
1: Um, I want to add in, that I forgot. Um, I apologize to that community. I'm involved with, although I didn't get to play a lot of competitive Lord of the Rings, the Middle Earth game put out by Games Workshop, um, which has got a great community in the Philadelphia area. Um in terms of video games, I played League very briefly back in 2010, 2011, 2012. I tried a couple seasons of Heroes of the Storm. I did Overwatch. Um I think that's kind of it for competitive video games. Like ones that I like took seriously enough to like practice and watch YouTube videos and prep for.
0: Yeah, we were really into Overwatch for a bit.
1: I honestly miss it. I mean, I play a lot of ladder for Magic the Gathering now, which is very fun. Like, I've made Diamond a couple times.
0: But that's Arena. We should, we have to clarify that it's Arena.
1: It's fair. It's Arena.
0: Ah. Uh, which is a weird middle ground that I think I want to talk about later, is how the competition between Magic at the table differs between Magic on Arena.
1: Well, since I have started playing Magic in quarantine, can't help you.
0: Yeah, well, we have we have experience when we went to Pax East. We played a small pod of Magic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, is that oh, such you a- know
0: what? Shit, this would have been like a great episode, Chaz Jared to be on.
1: <laughs> well, I actually was gonna say, dang it! <laughs> I, I was actually gonna say, I think on a very serious level, um, it's probably worth it to put a pin in Magic: The Gathering. And wait. And, and actually just admit that Magic the Gathering, Arena, and Tabletopping should probably be its own specific case study for us, because when okay. we have friends that have actually played in Grand Prixs, yeah. and we have access to bigger people with that, but also, it's so complicated and there's so, so much to it. Yeah. The formatting alone, if you're not familiar with it, it, it it's not like... Going to play a miniatures war game where they give you a points limit and a number of rounds. Or maybe at most a mission packet or something like that. It's like, yeah, so listen, this match at the gathering tournament is running this format. And here are the rounds. And here are the start times. And here's how it works. And here's the updated, you know, ban list. Ban list. And it gets more complicated from there.
0: So... I want to bring up something that you mentioned, Mazio, I think the first time you were talking. If we're going to put a pin in the Magic the Gathering for now until we have more people to bring on a chit-chat about it. Because it is a hefty topic.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree.
0: Okay. You said you stopped playing uh, 40k, I think, because it was ex- too expensive to chase the meta. And I think meta is going to be something that unites the two sides. Uh, Pretty firmly, I guess, in the competitive nature between the two. Because from what I've heard about the tabletop games, is there is a strong meta that exists there, and I already know there's strong metas that exist in video games.
1: Yeah, I think that the meta is one of the major things that unites them, right? The way people play the game by consensus and allow that consensus to have a severe influential factor on the rest of the game is wildly important and pertinent to both sides of this what's kind of weird is my experience with video gaming chasing the meta is actually in many ways harder um than than the tabletop tabletop wargaming or and board gaming is its whole other animal competitively um when you get into things like katana and scythe where it's much more about who you're playing and how people are playing at that moment and where the perceived odds are on individual case-by-case basis and your ability to assess and analyze it in the same way that you would with, say, chess or go. Mm -hmm. But I think the big thing is that both sides, if you take something like Overwatch or League and something like 40K or Star Wars Legion... There's podcasts on all of it, there's YouTube channels on all of it, and really, it's a whole bunch of people kind of sitting down and being like, yeah, we think this is consensus best at the moment, right? And then you have edge cases where somebody looks at the meta and finds a weakness to it. So in Star Wars Legion, there was a really big upset um, a long while, well, everything feels like a long while ago, but several metas ago where somebody showed up with Rebel Saboteurs, which was a unit that was not considered meta-viable, but the person had practiced and learned to use it for board control and a few other things, and really came in and upset the balance of the meta with it, which I thought was particularly interesting. That the smaller the game, the less likely you are to have a meta upset, and then the bigger the game, the less likely you are to have a meta upset that is actually pertinent, right? So your group of six in Overwatch might be able to counter a strong tank meta by performing a specific task a specific way, but replicating that to the point where it will influence the meta becomes very, very difficult or in many cases not plausible because that system is a result of teamwork and playing together as well as the abilities and the things that are static within the game. So one thing that
2: I always end up coming back to when I'm thinking about meta, be it in video games or on the tabletop specifically with legion is kind of saying that happens at least between my group of friends regarding League of legends is that meta doesn't matter when you're bronze trash
0: yeah um, same with overwatch
2: yeah and <laughs> i end up never escaping that like i i play not super meta champs all the time um Primarily, my, the mid laner that I play right now is Annie, but I'll play Annie in any single role just because I love sitting in a bush and dropping a bomb on you. That's what she does. And it annoys people so much at those low ranks that it really doesn't matter that she falls off really hard into the late game. Um, the meta kind of gets squashed by the micro concerns of the game. And I find that a lot with Legion specifically around like the local scene that Mazu and I play in where tauntons, right?
1: <laughs> The, the dreaded Tauntauns. <laughs> you mean my beloved Tauntaun Shun Pilgrim Scott? God- i have God- heard so beasts. much about
0: these Tauntauns outside of this podcast. This
2: piece of shit Tauntauns. I can't even tell you how much of a problem they were for me personally. I'm willing to venture a guess that a better player or somebody playing in a different fashion than myself would have had less of a problem with the Tauntauns. But specifically, because I like to play slow-moving Imperials that cost a lot of money and shoot a lot of guns, it, they would run down the board he, and eat me alive.
1: He means points, not money.
2: Yeah, yeah. you know,
1: Star Wars Legion is actually very affordable, as wargaming goes.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. Not cash money. Um, your total allotment of points that you can spend building your list before you start the game. The points that you can spend to assemble your army before you get it on the board. Very good distinction.
0: This reminds me of a story Mazio told me off this podcast one time where I, Matthew, I don't remember what game it was, but you were doing really good in a tabletop game in your local community.
1: It's, a, okay, it's Armada, and,
0: okay, and then you went off to play against like a wider community of people, and it was it was very different, like the metas they played and what they ran compared to what your local scene ran, right?
1: Yeah, so it was the regional season. I can't remember which one, and we went out to Pittsburgh. And played the scene in Pittsburgh and literally had a conversation on the way home that was like, so none of us knew you could do that. And now (laughs) we do. And let's just try to get this five hour drive back to Philadelphia over with as we sit here and try to figure out how we missed this. But those players were really, really good at things that our community had just grown to not do um and that was particularly defi- like defined by the squadron game in the very early days of Armada where you didn't really have all the options and then the um I keep keep point the outrunner the the 2400 meta came out where you had people running insane different types of squadrons and things like that um and that's kind of been a a big pull in the Armada meta is the difference between ship players and squadron players which is literally, like, it's a philosophical way to see the game. Where some people are like, yeah, like, I win with squadrons and I play the ships that support the squadrons. And some people are like, yeah, I'm here to fly Star Destroyers and, you know, Liberties and Starhawks. And I don't really, really even care if there are X-Wings and TIE Fighters on the table. And it goes back to this really weird thing that Jake's talking about with his role with Annie, where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna come in with this fleet, and this fleet's gonna do something particularly well, and I'm gonna see what happens with it, and away we go. Um I actually did a five Architens list with a little bit of squadron support, like enough to speed bump the squadron game basically. And I did fine on smaller in like smaller local metas and then was trash the minute it left, and I knew it was an off-meta list and there were all kinds of issues with it. But I loved the list and it's how I wanted to play that game. And I think that in the competitive scenes on both sides of the digital and IRL formats exists that dichotomy of this is what's good and do I want to play what's good or do I want to play what I love? And you get a handful of golden moments both times where Bastion's amazing and I don't Mm -hmm. and he's my main and I don't care what happens and this is great, right? And people are like, Mm -hmm. yeah, of course there's a Bastion in this game. And then the rest of the time, people are like, why are you picking Bastion he's off meta? Well, because I like him.
0: So I what I'm picturing or what I think I'm realizing from this conversation is that video games have a huge advantage just because of their wide audience-based audience-based via the internet. So, typically, Overwatch has one meta. Right? And it's a global meta. There's no differences, mostly there's no differences between how the meta plays out in the Western Hemisphere versus the Eastern Hemisphere, right? But... As you were talking about tabletop games, there are little pockets of that game's culture, or it's like in its own meta or culture, given where you are in the world.
1: I think this also comes down to how metas are defined and built in both formats, and there's a series of pros that build the for- the meta for something like Overwatch or League, right? but yeah. your local meta is whoever shows up like i play at showcase comics and, and whoever shows up is who i play right mm-hmm. and it super doesn't matter what the broader meta is if i if there's no one that's really running it or the skill cap's not there or i can counter it with something else and you end up in this sort of odd never ending position of The, the exact conversation Jake had, which was about Bronze Trash, where you're like, yeah, does it matter? Does it matter that this is what's good, quote unquote, in the broader field? If I can't win with it in my local store? And I have the same question for myself with Song of Ice and Fire and me entering into another competitive, um, another competitive video game, right? My song list is a Free Folk Giant-based list. And I've done really well. Like, I've done well enough in the local scene that I'm not planning to bring it to a tournament again unless I'm prepping for, a like, a bigger tournament, like a much broader, like, regional or something like that. Um, Because it isn't fun to bring the same brutal list over and over and over again. You know, it's fine if people groan when you walk in the door, so long as they're not groaning for the same reason every time. Right. I think, too, there is this idea in competitive scenes where you have a certain amount of players of varying skill cap that show up because you can get games in quickly. If you're married or have children or have severe business commitments, it's a very attractive way to spend your Saturday to be like, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm guaranteed three games in one day. And if we finish on time, I can even go to dinner with my friends. That person's probably not practiced, they're probably not there to win. They're they're just there to get games in because they can. Which is also respectable but a little odd. There's also a lot of moments where the
2: pool of knowledge I mean and you mentioned it with your your story about the tournament, but the pool of knowledge is almost determined by the best player in the room. Like when you brought out Tontons in the community that we played in, a lot of people got Tontons afterwards. I bought Tontons. Literally in the middle of that game, I took a box of tauntauns to the register and purchased it because I was not letting that happen again. Um, are they really meta on a global scale? Like, let's—it's yeah. almost like, well, yes, they are. But you know, for sake of argument, let's say that you're just amazingly good with a certain type of unit. It might appear as though the local meta is accurate, when in fact it's just that the best player prefers playing these types of things. So they look meta. I, don't
1: call me the best player. That's I, I appreciate the sentiment, but uh, that's wildly inaccurate and very okay. dangerous. A good player in
2: our community. That is that is that fair enough? Because I mean,
1: yeah, I'll take good player. That's fine. I have okay. enough trophies to prove good player.
2: Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, but you have sort of the formation of like this local inefficient meta, like relative to the global one, where our pool of knowledge is determined by the high-tier players in the store. So we're sort of all led down that line, guided by a few people that are teaching us the game and smacking the shit out of us with tauntons. So yeah. it's kind of hard to say.
0: Well, I also think the... how oh, do I don't want to word this. Video games reach a wider audience not just because... If you queue up for a game in Overwatch, you could get anybody who's out on that server. Uh, but also, it's broadcasted. From what I've seen, video games are broadcasted a lot more than tabletop games are.
1: They take a lot less to film. Yeah. Not not to be disparaging, but it takes software to film a video game and preferably a second monitor or maybe a second computer. to To film a tabletop game, we're actually setting up to film in my... Uh, game room, which is, I mean, technically it's a dining room, I guess, but neither me nor my girlfriend treat it like that. Right. And you're talking multiple ring lights, multiple yep. cameras. A lot of efforts going into shooting that one thing.
0: Right. And I think that also aids to the more localized metas, like what Jake and you were talking about, is that it's hard to see the game on a global scale outside of the big tournaments that happen, which are scattered throughout the year. Meanwhile, video games like league and overwatch have multiple games throughout the year.
1: Yeah. I think too, you're also looking at a situation where um, reporting is a much bigger issue. A lot of times the meta is determined by what people read based upon Tournament results that they could yeah. not attend. Like, I've never been to the Bay Open or the, the Las Vegas Open because they're—I live on the East Coast,
0: right? So for that one, you're are you more just looking at like I guess a an army list, whatever they're called.
1: <laughs> army list is accurate.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, whereas with the video game ones, you can actually see how they won utilizing that team. And get a visual representation of it instead of reading about it? Is that where you're going?
1: Yeah, and you don't have to guess as to whether or not you can pilot it either, right? Yeah. One of the things that happens all the time in both worlds is um, goldfish syndrome. I I go online, I find the medalist, I play the medalist, and I lose, and I think the medalist is bad. But really, it's that you were never equipped to fly the medalist? (laughs) so the,
0: the list was made for players who have invested significantly more time and energy into it
1: yeah and there's a skill cap and an experience cap that goes with it too and you see that um in my own performances i i'm guilty of it to some degree where i'll put in the time to make the list or steal a list from the internet and then modify it to my own play style but i don't have the extra reps that the actual top tier players have on a regional or national tournament level and I I tend to have problems where, like, they'll know how to dismantle my list and I won't know how to dismantle theirs.
0: I know we said we weren't going to talk about Magic, but Magic has a global meta. And I think it's because most of their tournaments have switched over to Arena.
1: Yeah. I also think Magic is played frequently enough in enough places that it's almost a video game on paper. Uh, yeah. In so that it, regard.
0: So it's really unique in that is that. It doesn't, it doesn't share the localized meta like the other board games or tabletop games, excuse me, do. And it really does play more like its video game counterpart arena. And I can't say if that's just because it has a video game counterpart or not. Or because it's been around so much and is just that widely popular. I think
1: also- it's a combo- oh, go ahead, Jake. Oh, okay,
2: um, there's also the massive secondary market with magic that gives rise to this additional massive secondary market of information or pool of information there's tons of online resources that don't necessarily yeah. exist or at least aren't as accessible in a lot of other tabletop games. You can very much you know find out which cards are meta right now, like this moment, this week, this release, what have you, and I'm not a magic expert, so coming off from of I'm wrong, but now you're right. It seems like there is much more it's almost close to like a website like op.gg for league where there is up to the minute statistics basically of what builds are good what their percentage win rates are what their play rates are ban rates etc as opposed How's to it? something like like legion which is not it's not really that accessible it takes you know 2ish hours to play a game we don't really have statistics on that so quickly if ever well-
0: well, also, video games are constantly tracking at that. That's a that's the digital benefit of it, right? Yeah, it's an is API it, as opposed well, to like yeah.
2: transcribing information. Not yeah. to
1: to add into this on top of it, you have things like tabletop simulator, where the meta of Legion is extremely influenced even before certain things are released because they are um, play tested in a digital environment. Yeah. And that's why things like the ARC Trooper thing happened. Yep. Wherein they literally sold out so hard so fast they couldn't even fill the pre-orders. For certain instances, like on the Minister's Market page, I heard that they had to actually refund pre-orders, and now they're simply out of stock until March. And this is a video game, uh, this is a video game tabletop game difference that disadvantages tabletop games wherein... Well, if I want art troopers, I now have to pay eBay prices for them, which are incredibly expensive by comparison to the actual MSRP, let alone like a discounted MSRP that you would find on an online vendor. And then add to that the horror show that it is when some people can get something or afford something and some people can't. And that results in the local meta oftentimes or even the national meta uh, being dictated largely by like what is and is not available
2: well is it really disadvantageous to the game or is it just you know not great for the players because if you think about it it corrects a massive inefficiency where tabletop simulator altering the meta of legion is correcting those local metas where if arc troopers are terrible in the store that we play at but they're great a couple towns away People might be driving a couple hours because they're sold out of ARC Troopers over in the middle of New Jersey, but you know down in PA, they're on the shelves because people are still playing Tauntauns. For FFG, it seems like that really helps them out. It's fantastic that they sell out so quickly, not for the players, but for the company because they know that, oh man, we were actually able to alter, not intentionally, but the demand was altered in a trackable way and in a quantifiable way that we can prepare
1: for next time. I mean, I agree with that to some extent, but... the, uh, Sorry, Amanda.
0: No, go ahead. Comment on what Jake just said.
1: No, I agree with that to some extent, but the problem then becomes um, you're now trying to counter a video game meta, a digital meta with physical objects that you may or may not have access to.
0: Yeah, I, I think what I got from your statement, Matthew, was that because there's a physical aspect to a game, there's a limiting factor on just how much is in circulation. Yes. Which isn't a problem in video games.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Song of Ice and Fire ran out of Night's Watch starters. So an entire faction of the game was inaccessible to new players or players that didn't own it. It might still be inaccessible. I haven't tracked it that close because of COVID. But it was at least a year. It might have been a year and a half of just, you have it or you don't. And if you don't, you can't play it. And there's nothing anyone can do for you.
0: So so in that sense... The meta for tabletop games isn't just dictated by what is running well and what is doing well, but also who has access to what. Say that I've never played Song of Ice and Fire, so I don't know. But say the Night's Watch was really good. If you only have five people with the Night's Watch faction and they're playing it and they're winning, you don't have enough data or games that they've played to then put together a counter meta nearly as quickly as you do with a virtual game that doesn't have that limitation. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And they both suffer from um, update drop syndrome. Drop yeah, syndrome, where update syndrome. Meta,
0: the meta just goes completely chaotic. Like a bowl of fucking spaghetti when updates <laughs> drop. And then it stabilizes, but I think video games stabilize significantly faster because, again, you get immediate reactions in real time
1: it's not just the immediate reactions it's the part where the tabletop meta it drops some pieces go missing rightly well not go missing some pieces go immediately out of print or become unavailable and now as the meta develops there's enough in it for it to influence the meta but not enough available for everyone to have it so the meta has to work on counters and that's where you start seeing um old reliables come into play like, Tauntauns are still, they're not, they've been slightly nerfed, but they're still very strong. Or the Star Destroyer from Armada was always good, to some degree. Uh It's still amazing. I love it. I'm not trying to disparage it. But then you're starting to see, they released the Super Star Destroyer, and it's a $200 model. And it won the Nova Open last year, if memory serves. And it's kind of a big deal, but not everybody has it, and some people are saying they don't need it and you end up in this weird, weird, weird place where all these local metas are producing anomalous lists because of either cost or production issues. This is where Tournament 40K, which is something I admittedly have not been involved in in years, starts to hit a rub where they drop new rules, the new rules blow up the meta, and people are now in a position where they're spending hundreds or usually thousands of dollars and excessive amounts of time to refit an army to play a single tournament or a couple series of tournaments and then chase that whole cycle over again. Whereas, yeah, it's annoying that I had to learn Overwatch characters that maybe weren't my favorite to stay competitive, even on my like high bronze, low silver level. But at least it wasn't costing me a ton of money to do it.
0: You mentioned that because of potential manufacturing delays not as many people have access to new drops or could, could could possibly not have access to the new drops whatever they do which means they focus on counter metas which I think is another thing that we could talk about where video game communities from the few that I've been in rarely f- like rarely think of counter metas I mean look at Overwatch Nobody nobody, even on professional teams tried to find ways to counter GOATs. Everyone just ran GOATs. And it's because they could. <laughs> Whereas with the tabletop games, if you're put in a position where you can't run meta, you're forced to think of a counter meta, right? Right. So those two mentalities, I think, could be interesting to talk about and think about. Where. The video game community tends to stray heavily towards sticking to the meta. And there may be some oddball team <laughs> uh, that'll come in and try brand new things and see if they can break that meta, but it's rare. I mean, again, there were goats for like three seasons, two seasons of Overwatch, just goats. Everyone just ran goats.
1: I think there is, in that exact line of thought, a very odd thing that happens wherein. Most competitive video games are team driven and because they are team driven there is a implicit social contract in place that says we're gonna run meta or not run meta as a group choice. Yeah. Whereas a meta player that walks up to the table in a war game and sees the list and they're like, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'll kill you by turn two no one's complaining. Right, Because if that person loses, they're taking the blame for losing. And if they win, they're elated that they got to club a baby seal, which is a game return for an experienced player. Right. It comes down to that sort of group versus singular dynamic. player men- dynamic. And I think, too, the problem is that tabletop games, this is a major difference. Tabletop games don't expand well into multiplayer experiences. Team games and team metas are rare. Team tournaments are rare. Yes, they do happen. Usually they're side events related to a grand tournament or a grand prix. They're very, very rarely the main event, the thing that counts the most. Um and I think you're going to start seeing that becoming an issue when this is actually studied and looked at, where it's like, well, team dynamic influences community significantly differently uh, in a significantly different way than individual players, right? I've seen really good players, like top-tier players, come in with a janky list or a fun list or a list they weren't that worried about because they weren't as concerned about winning that day or they just, whatever they were feeling, and then sit down and have this odd moment of well, this is how I did with it, and here's where I think the hidden gems are in this off-meta idea, or this this loose idea. You see that a lot in uh, Middle-Earth Lord of the Rings, where the players know each other really well. It's a one-on-one contest the whole way in. There isn't a lot of concern for what other players are going to do, and there's not a lot of politicking, because it kind of doesn't matter. You're just here to play each other.
0: You know, I didn't really think about video games being... Probably, like, 90% only team-based, competitively.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Relative to that... Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I was going to say, relative to that, if you don't mind, like, switching gears off of the meta thing... um, Yeah. How do you think the fact that tabletop games are so so solo affects its marketability? Like, because esports, right, on the video game side, has become such a massive thing in the past five years... We've come from, you know, not early, but the peaks of CSGO into League of Legends, Worlds at Madison Square Garden, it's it's an insanely new world. Localized teams for Overwatch. Um that can't really exist without the cooperation that has to happen in these games. The organizations wouldn't need to exist if there were just solo players. So is there a way to make competitive tabletopping marketable in that sense or like accessible to a broad viewing audience or is it just impossible
0: I think one that's a good point and I think there's a reason why it's called e sports and competitive tabletop gaming is not referred to as sports and I think it's because they're trying to invoke the feeling of a sport team you're gonna sit there you're gonna have a f- team of players that you root for you're gonna buy merchandise for that team with the logo and you'll swap and trade players from that team but the individual players don't matter so much as the team does and the camaraderie eh, like, i do like i'm not big into like physical sports but it doesn't matter as much as having your team win Which is hard to do with a single player.
1: I mean, I think that there are edge cases, golf, chess, go, where those things
2: work. (sighs) How about Magic? I know we said we didn't want to touch on it too much, but that seems like one of the more successful competitive analog games. Um, And to my knowledge, that's solo, is it not?
1: It is solo. It is. When you get in, go ahead.
0: I attribute that to its massive streaming community. Mm. So you can watch a streamer get to know them and like their play style and like them as a person enough to want to root for them in a one-on-one tournament. Which I don't know if that happens in tabletop games because they're not streamed or their personalities aren't made as global or public enough for people to latch on and say, I like this person, I want this person to win.
1: I think there's also a major issue in there um, that Magic, because of its nature and build, although I guess this is going into it a little too far, if we're really going to try to separate it out, is much more akin to knowing what you need to do in a game. Like The player base can watch a game of Magic the Gathering and know what they need to draw or know what they should need to draw and watch the plays and watch it move with a degree of perfection. Does that make sense? It does. It's the same as watching somebody play League where you're like, ah, they they misplaced this ability or this AoE. It has that kind of an edge to it.
0: Well, I think that goes back to... I play an MMO that is really fun to play, but the developers admit it is horrible to stream. And that's because so much is happening on screen. And I think we had this conversation actually in the last podcast that I just edited the fan, the fan one or whatever, where some games are made to be watched and understood so that a wider audience can watch and get into it. And they're more fun to watch than play. And I think magic has been around for so long and also, Isn't that complicated to watch? At least on Arena, it's not. Because all the things are written out on the cards. You can see all the triggers stack themselves. So you can kind of get an idea of what's happening. And so even an average viewer who may not be amazing at magic can still understand and process what's happening on screen. Whereas me as a person who knows nothing about Armada or Legion or whatever am completely lost whenever you guys talk about anything. And I bet even if I were to watch someone play it, someone would have to be standing by me and telling me exactly what's happening and why that thing is and all the rules for me to even process or enjoy watching it.
1: Yeah, I don't think the community is there for that. I think we like to watch battle reports on YouTube or read about them. Yeah. We'll listen to the podcasts as individuals, but that critical mass of people that show up all the time to watch a streamer. It's just not there in the tabletop world. Yeah. And I think that's partially because the the communities are somewhat narrow. There's a not insignificant component, regardless of game that you're playing on the tabletop, of you sitting alone in a room working it out. Yeah. Yeah. Before you go play practice games, before you go do this, before you go do that, it's group texts and endless theory crafting and you hammering away at something and then showing up with it. I mean, there was a big, big deal when, in Song of Ice and Fire, when Sparrows came out. And my buddy rolled in with a devastating Lannister Sparrows list. And his list and my wildling list showed down at top table at a local tournament. And that was the big, big deal of that moment was the the part where my list upset because his list was a known quantity and mine was new, his list lost and everyone was, we were all including myself surprised. Um, And I think that that's something that it would have never gotten that far in bigger communities with more streaming and more digital prowess to it. And I think that a lot of this comes into the digital incarnations of these games are significantly more difficult to use in most cases without a lot of practice. Does that touch your point, Jake?
2: I think it does. There's another thing when you were when you were just talking about that that I realized is that pretty much all competitive digital games are real time.
0: Oh. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, whereas I can't think of many real time analog games. Like I mean, I guess you could say like a chess clock to some extent, but you're still going turn-based, turn to turn to turn. There's a lot of time where you're sitting there silently considering you know, there's there's not motion happening. There's not snap decisions being forced by an external environment, which brings up another point. Part of the real time thing, for example, in League of Legends, that drives the game forward, is the fact that there is this uh, almost PVE element of the map moving forward with or without your consent. Really, like a dragon mm-hmm. will spawn, it will give a benefit. You better be there, or the other team's gonna be there. And that lurches the game forward, so it's not just the skirmishing of the two players. There's an external force that keeps driving everything, and you have to react to it. And now the players are not only reacting to the enemy team, but they're reacting to the environment as well. That can sometimes happen in um, like, a Battlefield-type game, in the more modern incarnations of it, where you have environmental effects like a building collapsing, etc. But usually those are driven by player interaction anyway. The one, namely, that doesn't involve any of that, that comes to mind, would be uh, Counter-Strike Go. Uh, I I can't think of a moment where, other than the clock pushing you forward, there's an interaction with the environment.
1: I do think, relative to this, if I can jump in, yeah, in tabletop tournaments, between rounds, there is a lot of simultaneous consideration of what's going to happen next, based upon rankings and things like that, where... You'll see players be like, yeah, I, I didn't play well enough to get through to the cut, even though there's two games left to go at some of these bigger tournaments where you have like five, six rounds. It's a complicated and interesting thing.
0: So I think what I'm getting or what I'm thinking about in relation to this is that if tabletop games were a sport, they would be more like golf or tennis. Where the action isn't very quick-paced. There would be, like, a burst of something happening, and then a moment pause. And specifically in golf, you'll see them think about their shot, talk with their caddy for a bit. And then they'll line it up for, like, a couple minutes. (laughs) And then they'll take one shot. And then commercial break. (laughs)
1: I actually think it's like baseball now that you've described it that way. I didn't think <laughs> of it earlier, but it is exactly like baseball where it's like the pitch, 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 pitch Oh gosh, oh gosh, oh, god. oh gosh. Oh god. Pitch, pitch, pitch. I'm gonna get some nachos. You want anything? Pitch, pitch. Oh gosh, you missed it. Oh, Damn I had it. A pee. I peed at the exact wrong moment.
0: And Honestly, I've heard people say that baseball is more fun to watch in person because of the atmosphere of the ball game and the enjoyment of just going to a ball game and catching T-shirts or getting ballpark food. It's the beer, or having yeah, sure, or yeah. having a crowd there to react with you. But watching at home on your screen on your TV is not nearly as fun.
1: I uh I can't watch baseball on TV at all. Like like almost zero. Like not even the playoffs. That real not really. Uh, but I do, I do like going to the ballpark. And I think there is that, that same quality in tabletop gaming where you're looking at this going, I, uh, <laughs> I think that's also where team games come in. Um, team games come in on this idea that if the widow's not doing something, I can swap to someone else. If top lane's boring, we can pan to mid or bottom. Right. And I think there is a lot said for having viewership options like you do in a game like football or hockey or Mm -hmm. basketball. I assume basketball. I'm going to be very upfront about this. Don't watch basketball. Too much time. Um, Where you are focusing on different things. Hockey tends to have a much more static point of view and you're focusing yourself as a viewer. Whereas football is like, yeah, this thing happened over here. And you're like, where did the flag come in? And you, they show you a camera that you weren't watching. But it's yeah. like and this happened, oh, all, all the way over there. This, this happened.
0: Well, hockey is also significantly more fast-paced. Where, like, all your attention has to be on the screen for a long period of time until a goal is scored or someone gets hurt.
1: Yeah, but it's think,
0: constant feedback.
1: I think too, in that baseball analogy of watching, like that watching baseball taking a nap sort of analogy, uh, <laughs> tabletop gaming has that quality when you watch it on tape. We're like, yeah, I'm going to fast-forward, like, whole minutes off of this. Because not much is going to happen this turn. And I'm just not going to sit here. And, yeah, they're giving commentary. And, yes, they're trying to make it entertaining. But one of the major problems is that you either have heavily edited games where you don't see some of the minutiae. Or you have really long streams Um where it's just, oh my gosh, just... Watching a dude move some space marines six inches Thankfully. up that board,
0: one at a time.
1: Yeah, and it, you know it, it's correct; they're doing it right. But this is also where I think you start to see elements of other tabletop games that are particularly tabletop RPGs that should be implemented if you want these streams to be interesting. Where
0: role playing a commander of an army.
1: Yeah, somebody should be giving voiceover after some of these things happen, right? Yeah. We watch the tape, and then like we're aware after this big play, um, nothing happens for four minutes. So we should have some overlaid conversation in that four minute period that describes it creatively and explains the the story and fluff, which the lore behind what's going on and so why these things are significant. And we don't have any of that right now.
0: Better commentators, like what? Oh. <laughs> Overwatch may not be the best to watch, but all the commentators or analysts on Overwatch were great. Yeah. They were great. Uh, and they really kept the hype during down moments whenever there would be an issue at someone's PC and the game paused, or there would be a technical issue or what have you, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> they were still entertaining and they still kept people on the stream. And that's something that you're saying you need in tabletop games. Because there's so much downtime in them.
1: Yeah, I think doing a live stream of tabletop games is fine, but when you're going to repost it, you really do need that moment of, okay, so we're going to go back and we're going to talk about what happened here, but we're not going to pause the game to do it.
0: Because you don't need to, because there's so much downtime.
1: Exactly. I mean, Overwatch suffers from the same thing, and that's why the commentators are so important, right? Yeah. Somebody pops off, there's a team wipe, and the, the commentators are like, all right, we've got like 30 to 90 seconds that we have to fill right now.
0: And we have to be entertaining to keep the audience until everybody responds.
2: Or like the beginnings of a StarCraft game. So I'm surprised we haven't talked about StarCraft yet. Giving it, like, it's sort of relative close position to board gaming. Just the RTS genre in general. But like in the beginning, you just you got a bunch of commentating while they're like setting yeah. up. And you're waiting for that moment to happen, whereas in a game like Counter-Strike, the commentators are moving from moment to moment of that building tension that is immediately, it explodes when someone turns a corner and they're, they've they encountered the, the sight line that the enemy team has set up. And there's an exchange where either they die or they keep moving forward and the push stops or the push has to move into a different direction. Where the enemy team gets wiped. It's so fast paced. There's so many moments of confrontation. Where in a game like Legion, for example, there is almost no moments of like explosive confrontation other than like a dice roll and all right, three tokens down. Ah, sh- he's dead. Okay, pull him off. Like, even in the most tragic moments of the game, it is extremely low key. Um, or the point where it is almost impossible to like make it inherently interesting to watch without like an excessive knowledge of the game
1: and i think that you see that too in major sporting events um and i think magic actually does that well but those commentators are there and i think this is just one level of editing too far for a lot of miniature wargaming at the moment because mm-hmm. um, i've talked to some friends about doing similar things and i'm like we, we would have to have excessive sessions and they're like why we just record it and slap it up there and i'm like Yeah, but, like, not really. (laughs) No. And then you watch games like um, Malifaux, or I I guess Worm of Horts is pretty well in the margins at the moment. But it's like, yeah, like this is a game where there's a million abilities and every model is somewhat different for the most part, and why is that model not doing this, and why is this other model doing that? And I remember I was playing a game, I can't remember if it was Jake or... David um, and I pushed a back into Count Dooku and everyone was like, you know, it was one of those things where after that battle was over and the back actually ended up eating Dooku um, it was actually asked of me, like, why did I do that and I had to explain it and I'm like, that would have been really good commentary in the four minutes it took me to kill Count Dooku in real time To be like so the back is doing this and it's providing this benefit and it doesn't matter if it makes it or not and it'll chip some wounds, or it, you know, or I guess maybe it won't, but it should chip some wounds away. And if nothing else, it's buying this, pl- it's buying the Imperial player time to execute this other thing. And when you start to hear the strategies and logic behind it, it really works. And that's where Armada, in my opinion, is actually the best positioned of any of them. Because Armada is a game of traps, it's a game of naval traps with high momentum and lots and lots of things going on. And if you're actually commentating it, it's like, yeah, like, this is going on and that's going on. You do see miniature wargaming get commentated on at large-scale events and things like that where, like, world champions will sit there and be like, this person's doing this. I actually had the, I'll say honor, but unfortunate inability to refuse (laughs) playing top (laughs) table and being streamed for a wargame I wasn't proficient at called X-Wing against a guy that was really good and me telling them... You, that's just you don't want to put me on the table, but you're so you you do well in Armada. I'm like, yeah, that's completely different. I'm I'm just I'm here because I, I like this game, but I'm not practiced. And they're like, you'll be fine. And then like I went down, and I tilted completely to the cameras. <laughs> and everything went so, so
0: wrong. <laughs> so to summarize what we've talked about so far and the differences we've talked about so far is that when we talk about meta, comparing video games and tabletop games, tabletop games, since they don't have as far reach or ease of accessibility of information as video games, their metas tend to be more localized, whereas video game metas are more global.
1: Yeah, and I would say that that's despite having Lots and lots of communication avenues that talk about these things. like Particularly podcasts are very popular.
0: Yeah. Another thing is that the tabletop gaming community tend to think more in counter-meta terms, partially due to uh, supply and demand and the inability to procure meta units due to slow production or what have you. Whereas the video game don't run into that because there's unlimited copies of x card online or there's you like you're never not going to be able to play a character unless someone else on your team has that character already don't so, leave
1: out things like fuck tauntauns yes yeah. <laughs> very important
0: yeah uh so the video game community is more likely to adhere to a meta and stick with it whereas a board game ke- gaming community due mostly to necessity will try and think of a counter meta to it And then we also talked about how video games are predominantly team based and trying to invoke a feeling similar to sports in that you have a team and it's this team dynamic, and you and the players on the team are promoted almost as not celebrities, but as figures to like for you to get to know and then root for. Whereas the tabletop community doesn't. Have the ability to easily stream itself or promote a single player on that level that video games have. Yes, is that right, right, like where we
1: are? Yeah, I think yes. that's pretty accurate.
0: Okay. The last thing that I want to bring up because uh, I feel like we have to when we talk about competition in these games is toxicity.
2: Oh, I have, I have kind of a funny story for this. So, oh, several. I,
0: hold on. Let me, I have never played again. Competitive tabletop games in like a tournament or a local level. So I don't know if there is toxicity in that community, but I sure as hell know there is toxicity in every competitive video game ever. And I just want to know why you guys think that is. If you think it is because video games run more of a team dynamic, so it's easier for people to pass blame from themselves, whereas in tabletop games, it's really only yourself to blame. Or is it more of a psychological aspect where in tabletop games, you visibly see your person? It's social, um, though. Yeah, whereas... Video games, you are behind a screen, you don't see that person and you don't really interact with your team. It's not like you said it as social.
1: In tabletop gaming, you see the same players at the same tournaments. You ca- you can't misbehave. When you see the same people at the same tournaments and you know you're going to see them in 6 months or 3 months or what a- what have you? You you're not going to act like the biggest jerk in the world because you you still have to like be able to show your face. Right?
0: Yeah, there's a even physical it, presence. You have, to, you have to physically be there.
1: Well, and, and the other thing is to consider in the broader sense, for a lot of these things, the groups get known even if the players do not. So in that same team idea, um, a bunch of people are looking at going to Articon, and I'm considering going with them to play the Lord of the Rings World Championship. And we would be the Philly people. Like, uh, like we would actually have a designation that would be like, yeah, we're from Philadelphia and we're playing in this grouping, right? We don't want to go and act like jerks in England and have those metas clash and have our reputation look terrible. There might be salt over an individual game or particular die roll or losing in a tournament, of course, but you're ultimately not going to say anything. I think I told the story of Armada where the one guy really baited me and did what I considered an ungentlemanly turn, and I returned that favor in a later tournament, and that definitely altered my reputation in that community permanently. Even though that those games took place in Virginia.
0: Jake, anything to add? Anything to say?
2: I... Okay. I'll give an example. <laughs> this... Aside from yelling at every single one of my league teammates that plays on a goddamn a potato. walmart potato <laughs> they picked it's a, up it's six a walmart months. in that that's so bad right like yeah. it's a walmart potato no it's not like, like you didn't go to wegmans you went to walmart
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: for food like a peasant like a, oh, God. the goddamn pleb that you are um <laughs> wow well, we're kind of super elitist walmart's <laughs> just not convenient for my shopping just for the internet record like it's just not we're close we're not enough.
0: dissing walmart <laughs>
1: I am dissing Walmart.
0: Jake, um, you say that every time I try to clarify something in the podcast. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm, Jake. I'm taking
2: bold stances. So, yeah, aside from that, cuz that's that's sort of a different type of toxicity, I think. I think there's like vague sort of chaotic misdirected toxicity, like you're trash and your mother is a good friend of mine type of thing. <laughs> um <laughs> Jake, but I can
0: just mark the podcast explicit.
2: <laughs> I'll I'll try to mute it myself. Wait. But then there's wait, sort of are, a
1: are you implying a sexual relationship with somebody's mother? I would never imply that. That was factual. It happened. Anyway. <laughs> God do <damn>. um, <laughs> you'd, you'd still imply it. Even if it is actual.
2: No, I mean there's there's no implication. Right, there's just been your right. footage. Anyway, um Jake. The point is. There's a different type of toxicity, I think, that happens in tabletop games that it's more um, contextual to the game itself, and you sort of can't do that. Like I'm gonna, I'll bring up an example of something that happened at the very first Elysian tournament that I ever played in, where I went up against an opponent and we had a we had a pretty tough game, and it was it was really enjoyable. By the end of it, I lost by just you know a couple points on the victory point scale. Um, We had to go to a tiebreaker. We counted. how many units were left and it was a very dead it was pretty much a dead even game and I lost by a couple points because of a unit that died in the very last turn of the game so all in all fantastic match we move to the next game now the way the scoring system works in this particular tournament Mazu, you could explain it better than I can but it is relative to the quality of the opponents that you beat or are beaten by
1: it's called strength of schedule
2: strength of schedule thank you very much um God damn it. Uh, so this person in their second game got tilted and walked out the door. Now, I was beaten by this person in the first game. So my strength of schedule went down significantly because I lost to somebody that lost their second game and didn't show up to their first. So even though I won my second game, we had the exact same record. Um... I ended up coming in a significantly lower place than him simply because of the the strength of the schedule and the people that he ended up playing against and losing to. So my personal take on that is that that was a super toxic thing to do and you signed up for a tournament and you need to play it out. And the consequence of that is, you know, whenever I see this person again at other tournaments, I remember that and I, you know, I'm not going to go out and ruin their day, but also I kind of... Think that was One, a piece two. of shit douchebag, too. Really. Um, in video games, I have no qualms against doing that at all. I was in the Catalyst qualifiers for PUBG when they were trying to make PUBG an eSport, and we were playing against legitimate pro teams. I laid on the ground in the middle of the final zone in a bush and hid simply <laughs> to increase my my place in the match. I don't give. One single if anybody hated it. My whole team was dead. I was the last person alive. I laid in a bush. And I actually eliminated a team. Like a professional team. Who sat in front of me. Like they had a legitimate chance of going to pole into play. We ended up getting eliminated by one spot. But I laid down. And I sat there. And then I killed them. Simply because you know what? Me getting up one spot is better than you having a real chance to win, like, in a different country <laughs> for money. I don't care at all. So it's that sort of, like, contextual contextual um, toxicity. Like, it's about the game. And I'm willing to do that when I don't have to see you in front of me. And it is more offensive when you're affecting, like, an event that I drove to be a part of. That I bought models to be a part of. That there's a significant financial commitment and time commitment to be a part of.
1: In a- I don't know if I told this story in a previous podcast, but um, I was at a local tournament in Maryland, and I had done poorly, and my opponent and I were friends. We'd driven down together, and he had done poorly. So we're bottom table, and we're like, well, this doesn't matter at all. And I look at him, and I'm like, do you care? And he goes, no, do you? And I'm like, no, we're not going to place it all. It doesn't make a difference. So what happens is we play a eh, screw-it game. Like a literal, me, oh, no, 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 sir, you. I roll hot and end up obliterating him. We turn in our sheets, we pack up our stuff, we're literally not paying attention to at the award ceremony. We, we take our, like, participation prize, and then we're literally sitting there discussing where to go to eat, and somebody goes, hey, Mazio, are you going to go up and take your trophy? And I'm like, oh, is it down to the bottom, you Like, you just won the tournament. No, I didn't. I was bottom table. There's no what? way I won this tournament. I'm like, no, you won the tournament with your 10-0 in the last table. And we like, we looked at each other and we felt awful. Oh no! <laughs> awful! Because the way scoring in Armada works is it's not your win-loss record. It's your overall victory points by game, right? So your total at the end dictates the winner. And these guys had all played these really tight, hard games. And I had gotten lucky in a I like, we even put, the last game was so bad, to put it in perspective, we put the objective tokens on the sides of the board and deployed in the middle. We literally sailed our ships at each other with a, no, 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 I think my dice are better approach to playing this game rather <coughs> than strategy. And as a result, screwed a room full of people we really liked. Oh, no. And you can't do anything about it at that point, because you can't, like, there's nothing to be done. So I just, like, walked up and apologized, and I'm like, before I take anything, does anybody need any of this stuff? Like, is anybody sitting here like, man, I really wanted that thing, but you came in third because we just screwed up by accident? And they were like, were you cheating? And the one guy's like, they weren't cheating, they just didn't think it mattered, so they just didn't play hard. <laughs>
0: so they just did we had around. a whole conversation
1: on the ride home about how that can never happen again.
0: So, I think then both of your stories are based on the fact that you actually have to interact face to face with people.
1: I do I agree with that, but I also think there is a significant thing we're talking about that I guess we're not going to get to because it's five and seven. There's a significant thing we're talking about in that different games produce different players, yeah, yeah. in both environments. But there are categorically games that you can argue are very, very similar in both environments. And I think that that's something I really do think we should talk about, um, obviously, at another time. But, you know, there are games that produce people in real life, tournament, like in, in IRL tournament scenes, that are the equivalent of League, right? Games Workshop games are great at that. Like, 40K and Age of Sigmar, oh my gosh that place is salt so you got to check your cardiologist before when you leave because the amount of salt that goes into that room <laughs> is horrendous and i i get it though like i sp- you spend a couple thousand dollars some of them don't even paint their own stuff so like they're paying for the models they're building them they're paying someone else to paint them and then they lose for one reason or another and like it's table flippingly angry whereas something like rings or song of ice and fire it's much more um Congenial, like the games are like, yeah, no, you you beat the tar out of me, and I don't, I don't even know where to begin to like say I had never seen that coming. Um, to the point where if you're good enough in those communities, we we drove out of our way to get Rose Nights for Song of Ice and Fire, if anybody knows what that is. Nope. Um, because our pre order person dropped the ball real hard. Looking at you, Tim. If you could leave that name in the podcast, that would be great. Cause <laughs> Tim, noted. Um, but. We drove out of our way, and we paid a premium for them. And when the people in that store, who we knew and played against, looked at us and were like, so you guys came here to each buy three boxes of these Rose Knights and all this other stuff? We were like, yep. Like, okay. They went off the shelves and bought the rest of them. They're like, well, obviously, if you guys think these are worth having, then we're going to do it. I didn't buy the Superstar Star Destroyer until I saw what it could do, and I was like, yeah, like $200 seems cheap all of a sudden <laughs> for what that thing is.
0: But video games don't really have that cost comparison that these tabletop games have. Like, I can understand if you've invested a lot of time and money in your models and your team only to have it lose, why there would be a frustrating reaction to it. But that doesn't really exist in video games.
1: I think that there's actually a different economy of scale in that, you know, tabletop players don't generally brag about the amount of time they've played a game they'll brag about victories they'll brag about major losses they'll talk about their paint jobs their hobby aspects building painting modification of models modding um video game players don't consider money I think video game players only consider time and I think that that's the major frustration point I know it was for me where it's like man I am 300 hours in, and I am still such bronze trash that I can't mm-hmm. even get to, you know, 1,100 points on the SR scale.
0: Partially because of the janky way Overwatch is doing SR.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I was, I was, well, I, I, my highest rank ever was rank 50 in Season 1, and I never got close to that again. Uh, and I have lots of feels about that and thoughts about it oh. that I'm not going to bother with here. But it is a time factor, right? Like, we all play video games. None of us are like, I paid $60 for this game. People are like, I have 3,000 hours into Warframe.
2: And even when there are massive financial commitments, like, for example, CSGO, I mean, there's always that moment in back in the CS days where somebody on the other team had a $300 op and couldn't hit shit. Couldn't hit the broadside of a fucking barn with their three hundred dollar op skin. Um, That's because
1: they're no scoping.
2: I. They should have been, to be honest with you. But it doesn't. There's always the the insult of like, ah, oh, you paid all the money for that skin, you're still trash. But I mean, it. They paid the money for the skin because they wanted the skin, and it has almost no bearing on the enjoyment of the game. I have paid right. an outrageous amount of money on League of Legends. Between you know acquiring all the champions when I thought you had to buy them instead of using blue essence because I was an idiot, and um, like the skins for them, uh, I don't necessarily think it has anything to do with my rank or anything to do with that. It's sort of it's very divorced from the entire game itself. Whereas you know Legion, for example, if I spend money on a unit and it's trash like the tank, the assault tank for uh, the Imperial side, I was Impressive, pissed. Yeah, yeah, I was super pissed when I bought that thing, and not in four games could I get it to kill almost anything. It was complete hot garbage. That was really annoying, and it definitely affected my purchases later on.
0: So. So, I think, Mazia, you're right, and maybe this is a... This will branch off into more topics to talk about on other podcasts, or we can maybe do a part two of this one. But we do have to wrap up this one.
2: Well, I have one thing to say. I, I have one thing to say. To the the dog shit Ash from the last game of League I played before I started this podcast, can I did my mother, and her potatoes were for Walmart. Okay. <laughs> With that! I
1: have uh, I have one thing I'd like to add in that uh, I'm very excited for the Republic to come out for Armada, and I still love my Tauntauns.
0: All right, ducklings. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We definitely have much more that we want to talk about in the future episodes. Not sure if they will be the next one to this, or they will be an episode in the distant future where we come back to this and go more in depth into some of the topics that we briefly brought up in here, or that we just didn't get around to uh if you haven't checked out our other podcast episodes be sure to check them out uh and if you don't know who we are especially check out the first episode where we talk about who we are uh and otherwise we will see you guys in the next one
2: quack quack see you at home ash